Good to see all of you. If you're a guest, I'm David, another pastor. We're glad you're here. And I hope you enjoy your time here. Let all of you uh, know that, especially if you're connected with our church anyways, this is uh, the day that we celebrate Barry and Dawn. They're leaving. Barry is going to, our student minister is going to go become the lead pastor at the end of this month in Indiana at Gospel Grove Baptist Church. Dawn and the kids are leaving this week. So go out there and there's some cake and there's a chance for you to say goodbye to them. I much appreciate all that they've done. The other thing I want to share with you is that we have been searching for a while for a uh, children's minister. And after we've done all the searching, we found a local gal. And so most of the stuff will be printed, you know, on the website in the days to come and all that. But I'll let you know that on uh, July 30th, which is our business meeting, the personnel committee and I will present to you that we call Heather Thatcher to be our children's minister. Heather's actually sitting there. She's in church today. It's good to see Heather. And uh, leave her alone. Don't bother her. She's not on staff or anything right now. So don't go ask her questions and all that stuff. Wait until that comes. comes. We are finishing up today our uh, series on Jude. And uh, what we have seen is Jude wrote this book because false teachers had come into the church that he cared about. He wanted to write a book talking about the common salvation. Instead, he had to do a book about false teachers. In this book, he reminds them that life is all about Jesus. But because false teachers were called into the conflict with them, false teachers was a common occurrence. In the New Testament times, most of the New Testament books dealt with false teachers to some degree. And so we're called in this conflict with them, and we've seen these false teachers. And today's message is really written to the church in contrast to those false teachers. And it begins in verse 17 with the phrase, but you, but you, you and I, we're different than them. And what I want you to see from the message today, as the Lord speaks to us through Jude, is this. Jude, the brother of Jesus, reminds us how to live as followers of Jesus. He reminds us how to live as followers of Jesus. Now, the false teachers had come from a pagan Gentile background and it said and claimed to be followers of Christ. They were not. They had come and they had begun to teach that once you have received the grace of God, God was obligated to save you so you could live however you want and you could live within any lifestyle, any extremity that you wanted. Jude calls this lifestyle licentiousness, which is the extremes of what we would call immorality. And they taught you could do live however you wanted, which is clearly opposite of what the Christian faith and what Christ has taught us. And so Jude deals with this. And he brings in these last few verses of his book three critical points for us to see. And the first point that he wants us to see is this, that we overcome false teachers with the truth of the apostolic message. We overcome the teachers who teach what is false with truth. And the truth is that of the apostolic message. You may wonder what exactly is the apostolic message. And really, it's the New Testament. And you may say, well, why didn't you just say the New Testament? And I thought about that after I wrote it this way. But you'll see in a minute because Luke, excuse me, Jude makes a reference to, to the apostles and what they wrote. And so to understand where he gets, we come to verse 17. He says, but you, beloved, you, you are the beloved. You, you're, you are the people who are following God, following Christ. You're, you're the, the believers. And then he gives a command, you ought to remember something. The word remember is not just to come to mind, but to focus on in the midst of all these false teachers and the things that are sharing. He says, you need to focus on something. What you need to focus on is this. You need to focus on the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to spoken on something that has already focused on something that's already been spoken by the words of the apostles. Now, the apostles were those guys who were called by Jesus specifically by him. They saw the resurrected Jesus and he called them to take out his message and share. Now, the apostles include the original 12 disciples minus Judas 
It would include Paul, who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and was called by him. It would include, actually, the brothers of Jesus, James and Jude, though Jude was not referencing himself as a possible. Maybe uh, Barnabas and a few others, but those was a very limited group. And what they did is they would go out and they would share truth, the truth about Jesus. And they would send others out that were part of their group, like Paul would send Timothy or Luke or Mark or, or somebody, or Sylvanus. They would send them out to teach apostolic truth, the message of these apostles that the Lord had given them. Now, today we have that message, you know, in the New Testament. You know, that's, that's the apostolic message. But they didn't have the New Testament yet. They were writing it. Now, while when Jude wrote probably most of the books, or a lot of the books that already been written, some hadn't. But they didn't have them all together. They hadn't been solidified into what we call the New Testament. It would take almost 300 years for those 27 books, all written in the first century, all written within one generation of Jesus. But it would take 27, I mean, it would take over almost 300 years to kind of get them all as the settled New Testament. But what they had were the words. They had what these guys spoke. And specifically concerning false teachers, here's what they had, we see in verse 18. That they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. Now somebody had already shared with them, one of the apostles, or somebody who came from the apostles, that there's going to be mockers, jesters, people who will scorn, show contempt towards truth. We saw that last week, that one of the false teachers, what they did is that they would complain and they would critique the true message of Christ, say they had received a special revelation from God in a dream. But they hadn't. They were mockers. And what Jude says, and quoting whatever the apostolic message was, or whoever brought it, is that they were following their ungodly lust. Now, we have seen numerous times Jude used the term ungodly. In fact, last week, he used it four times in one verse. He said, these false teachers were ungodly, they did ungodly things in ungodly ways, and spoke ungodly words. I mean, that's a pretty harsh and severe criticism. I mean, to be ungodly is to be the opposite of God, to be completely against God. And so Judas said, these teachers are everything you can imagine against God. And they mock the truth, following their lust, which we have seen. Their desire to live completely immoral lives. They had completely sacrificed the truth to go down this path. And they were told that this would be something that would come in these last times or days. Now, when we see the term last time or last days, most people's minds immediately go to the coming of Christ, the end times, you know, all of the book of Revelation, all that stuff. And I got it. Well, sometimes we got to think how they thought. They believed, those who were in that first generation, those closely connected to Christ, they believed that Christ would probably come in their lifetime. They believed that the coming of Christ would be soon. And so they always believed that they were really in the last times. There was this sense of urgency. And the truth of the matter is, the last times has to deal with that time between the ascension of Jesus until he comes again. Sometimes people will come to me and say, David, do you believe we're living in the last days? And I will say, yes, but not in the way you believe it. <laughs> I believe that the entire time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ is the last time. I believe that because... The apostles believed that, and that's what they wrote. And I'm usually going to go with those guys because they seem to know what they were talking about most of the time. 
Then he described these guys in verse 19 in three ways. Here's what he says about them. They are the ones who caused divisions. They split the church. False teachers were always splitting the church. That's why they were so dangerous. That's why Paul dealt with them in Galatians and 1 Corinthians. And why he sent Timothy to the church at Ephesus because they were causing problems. I mean, when you teach what is false, when you're a false teacher, you're going to cause problems in the church. That's why you deal with them. They were, he said, worldly-minded. They focused on the thing the culture focused on. Now, one of the things that, that I've repeated over and over and over, and I'll talk about it a few more, a few more minutes, is that we live in a culture on opposition to God. But we always have been that way. Every culture outside the Christian culture is, by definition, in opposition to what God expects and what. The, the, the culture that Jesus came into, the Jewish culture, had taken their faith and twisted it into a religion that had lost all sense of meaning. It was a culture in opposition to God. The, the Gentile culture, the pagan culture, was in opposition to God. You and I live in that culture. They had taken the culture of that time, their Greek pagan background, and they had brought it in to the church. Then he says also they're devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit in with them. And that's, that's how you, one way you know for sure they're not a follower of Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit. See, in order to be a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Some teach that you can be a Christian and follow Jesus and be saved, but not have the Holy Spirit. The problem is that's not taught in the New Testament. In fact, Paul in Romans 8 9 says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you ain't a Christian. Now that's a rough South Texas paraphrase, but it's not word for word. But that's what it means. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're a follower. <laughs> and notice what he's saying. He says, these guys aren't followers of Christ. And they have abandoned the message of the apostles. Now, you and I live in a wonderful time that we have the apostolic message in 27 books we call the New Testament. And those books were either written by the apostles or someone close to them. I mean, look at the four gospels. John and Matthew wrote two of them. They were apostles. Sometimes I'll read and, and you'll read commentators wondering where Matthew or John got their material. I'm like, well, Jesus, come on, give me a break. They were with Jesus. That's where they got it. Mark and Luke, they weren't apostles, but they hung with the apostles. Mark was close to Peter, probably got his book from Peter, close to Paul. Luke was a companion of Paul, went with Paul all over the place. They got their stuff from those guys. Then you have the, the book of Acts. You know, Luke wrote Acts talking about what Paul and Peter did and their journey and their message. You have these letters written by Paul and Peter and John, James and Jude. And one of the guys who wrote Hebrews, probably one of the apostles. I mean, they're just laying on the line. They're saying, this is, this is what it's about. They're talking to the church, how to live as a follower of Jesus, what to expect as a follower of Jesus. It is amazing. We have all that to tell us how we live our life. Whenever some teaching comes up or some crazy idea comes up or somebody comes up with something new, man, you got 27 bucks in the Old Testament. To compare it with, you got the book of Revelation, which I'm going to talk about in, in um, what is it, July 30th, that Friday night, it's a deep fry, and I'm going to teach in depth the book of Revelation from 6.30 to 10 o'clock. Man, John wrote that book to people being persecuted, being butchered by Domitian. And he said, don't give up hope. Christ is victorious. And to every group of Christians who have ever been persecuted, that is a book of hope. You and I, as 21st century Americans, struggle with that because we don't know what it is to be persecuted and we can't figure it out. But they did. They knew what it meant. You have these books, and here's what we do. And I get it. We want to read all sorts of Christian books about all sorts of things. And we go to the bookstore, we go online, and we order this person and that person, and I get it. And you can read some of that, but understand this. You should spend more time reading the New Testament 
than you do reading what people say about the New Testament. If you spend more time reading books about the New Testament than the New Testament, you're probably going to miss out on some stuff. What's that phrase they like to use these days? You're doing it wrong? Yeah. Listen, I, do a lot, I read a lot of books. I read commentary. I got all this commentary. You know, I read, you know, books, you know, Greek and Hebrew, grammar and syntax. You know, that's all fun reading. That'll put you to sleep in five seconds. And I read background books and all the time. I, you know what I read mostly? I just read the New Testament and the Old. That's what I read. I read those books. I, I read those. You know, for this series, I read a few commentaries. Yeah, and I read, you know, there's, some, there's some difficult Greek, and so I read some Greek stuff, and I did all that stuff. And I read some backgrounds about the time of Jude, and had to read a little bit about the apocryphal books, but you know, mostly I just read Jude over and over and over and over and over again. And every sermon I preached came not from some book about Jude, but from Jude. You know why? Because that's the guy who wrote the book, and I want to know what he said. And I want to be able to tell you what he said, because that's my responsibility to you. See, lots of people write about Jesus, and I get it. But you ought to read from the guys who knew him, and who knew the guys who knew him, who were there in that first century. For here's the thing you need to see. No one has ever written anything about Jesus that is more truthful, more insightful, more beneficial than what the apostles wrote about Jesus. I mean, who's a better source? I got news for you. I know some of you, I know you, love, I know you love Charles Stanley, but he isn't a better source. And I know some of you are all in love with Beth Moore. She's not a better source. You know who's the best source to know about Jesus is? I don't know. Maybe the guys who wrote the New Testament. So you got false teaching, you're worried about it, you do this. Go to the New Testament. That's how you understand what is false and what is true. The first thing he said is overcome. False teachers with the truth of the apostolic message. The second thing he said is this, overcome false teachings by remaining in the love of God. The teachings that you see, the love of God, understanding what the love of God means will help you through it. Now, really, we haven't talked about the love of God really in Jude. It's not because it wasn't important, and it was always important. And one of the things that was clear in the early message of the church, I, in fact, last year, the summer series on John 13 was really about loving one another. Jesus said, love one another. Love is the heart of the Christian faith. God so loved the world. God showed his great love to us. But here's the key, and I've shared with you all this last few months a couple of times. Love, from the New Testament concept, is completely different than how the world thinks of love. In fact, let me show this with you. Most religions outside the New Testament, outside of Christianity, there's no place for love. If you go to them and read them, they don't really have anything to do with love. <clears throat> Eastern mysticism or Buddhism, Hinduism, they don't have love. Now, when they come to America, they incorporate the word love because they know that resonates with Americans, but, but it's not in their religious dogma. Muslims have no concept of love for people who are not Muslims. They had no concept of loving your enemies or loving people who were lost. Now, when they come to America, and, and they'll, they'll bring concepts in, but they don't have it. In fact, our culture takes the word love, and they use it completely wrong. They co-opt our word for Christianity's word for love, the concept, and they twist it and they change it to feed, meet their needs. So they'll say, you Christians need to love more. Well, Christians do need to love more. Like, Jesus talks about love. The word love is the word agape, the primary word used in the New Testament. It was never used outside the Old Te New Testament, maybe once or twice. And it means a higher calling of love, the love that God had towards us in the sacrifice. It's the sacrificial form of love. Love today for most people means you just give me what I want. 
If you love me, then you'll accept whatever I do, whatever I say, however I live. You will compromise whatever you believe, and you will do it my way, or you don't love me. You become a hater, and that's not Christian love. So here's what we see. And when you come to verse 20 and verse 21, you're going to have four verbal phrases that speak strongly, and they're kind of commands to us. And they're built on what we'll see in verse 21 and verse the idea of love. But you, beloved, but again, he's talking to them. Notice what he says, building yourself up on your most holy faith. The word building up means to build upon. You have a faith, not your faith in Jesus, but the Christian faith, the Christian truth, found in the 27 books that make up the New Testament. Now, he didn't have the 27 books back then. He had the apostolic message. You and I have 27 books to build up the Christian faith, plus the Old Testament. So we build ourselves up on the, this, the teachings of our faith. Read the New Testament. Read the Old Testament too, but spend the primary amount of your time in the New Testament. Read it. Learn it. It's the truth about Jesus. It'll build up your faith, but also praying in the Holy Spirit. You pray. And you pray with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, praying in the Holy Spirit isn't speaking in tongues. Some people think that. It's just not true. What it means to pray in the Holy Spirit is this. As a follower of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who works in our lives. So when we pray to God, we come to God in the name of Jesus, but we come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, when you hear me pray, at some point you will hear me pray, God, we come to you. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is working in my life. So we begin to overcome the teachings with love by experiencing the New Testament and praying. And then in verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in, or remain, this is a command, in the love of God. The love of God is that love God has to us. We experience that love on an ongoing basis. That's one of the cool and unique things about Christianity, is we constantly get to experience the love of God, having been saved by Jesus Christ. So, remain in that love, which is foreign to those who teach what is false. And in, in doing that, wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord, G, uh, Jesus Christ, to eternal life. Waiting anxiously means not to be nervous or worried, but to be anticipating. What are we anticipating? The culmination of the mercy we experience for all eternal life. Mercy is a, a really cool word. I, I remember one of my uh, seminary professors a long time ago, because that's when I was in seminary a long time ago, so I couldn't say recently. I just realized that. One of my seminary professors said, mercy is love and action. You know what love, how does love look like? It looks like mercy, the forgiveness, the compassion, because this is what God has shown to us in Christ. In our rebellion against him, he is giving us mercy. That's his love. He says, you take the love for eternal life. In mercy, we have eternal life. We're going to live forever with Christ and God after our death. You know, we're going to be in heaven, all of that. But we begin to experience that in this life. The moment I'm saved, I have eternal life. But that eternal life is not completed until the Lord comes or until I pass. And so the mercy is finalized, is consummated, it's in its fullest form. Then, so what he's saying is you need to persevere. You live at a time where there is false teachers, and you live in a time where there is false teachings. And it can be difficult. And eventually, it can lead to persecution. When we get to the book of Revelation in a couple of weeks, on that Friday night, and they're in the steep, in the midst of just severe persecution. In fact, when uh, Jude wrote this, persecution was ongoing at that point in Rome by Nero. In the midst of all of this garbage, you need to persevere for the love of God that's in you. You rely on the New Testament. You and I would understand it that way. You pray, and then 
you persevere. You do all this in the love. This is so unique to us. You see, here's the thing. And this is, this is where Jude had it over the false teachers. This is where he could really hammer this home. You see, the false teachers had no place for the love of God or the love of others. The false teachers had no place for love. None. There was no concept of love in what they had. Jude knew that the faith that he had was one built on love. Love for one another, not like the culture loves. Not like the culture demands, but like Christ loves. And we love that way, don't we? I mean, think about a parent. If you have a child, a little child, a little six-year-old, and that little kid lies a lot, you're not going to say, oh, look at little Johnny, he's a liar. Isn't that cute? I mean, I know that's a scummy thing to do, and it'll probably mess up his life, but why would I tell him no? That's just the way God made him. God made him a no-good, miserable liar. No, if you love your kid and they lie, you're going to tell them that lying is wrong. You're going to correct them. You're going to move them down a right path because you know that lying is a destructive nature in you and it shows a lack of love and respect for others. See, true love, true love gets us where we need to be. And that's what Jude was saying. You know, the false teachers don't have love. And sometimes you're tough, but love gets you where you need to be. So he said, overcome. False teachings and false teachers with truth and with love. And then he brings it to the third point. And in the third point, he was going to have to help us deal with those who have become susceptible to the false teachers, not to the false teachers, but to those in our group who have been slip sliding away. And here's what he said. Show mercy to those overcome by false teachers and false teachings. Show mercy to those overcome by false teachers in false teachings. He's going to list three groups of people who have become influenced by false teachers. Those who have, in the early stages, of simply doubting the truth. Those who have decided to abandon the truth to live, like the false teachers have said. And those who not only are living like the false teachers, but they themselves have begun to teach that way. He's not dealing with the false teachers. He's kind of pushed them off the side already. But he's dealing with these. And so here's what he says in verse 22. And have mercy on some who are doubting. There are some who are doubting truth. They're, they're under the influence of the false teachers, so they've become to doubt. He says, show mercy on them. That means love. Love them. Love them with compassion. But it's not a passive thing. It's active. You love them. Now, what do we have? We have 20, you and I have 27 books that make up the New Testament, plus the old. Now, they didn't have all that. They had the apostolic word, but we have more. We have the power of prayer. And in our love, we go to them and we show them why they are believing what is false. We show them why they are drifting away. We remind them of the faith they once had and what they once believed. And now why what they're believing is an error and it is drifting them away. We do that. Why? Because we love them and we care about them. We don't want to see them fall down that path. So we always want to show love to people. We say this all the time. Everyone is welcome to come to our church, and we love you. We want you to come. We want you to be a part of things. It doesn't mean that we're going to accept everything you believe or everything you do as being okay, but we still love you. And that's what he's saying. Love them, because show them the truth. Then he comes in verse 23 to the second group of people. Some, or save others, he said, snatch them out of the fire. The idea of 
being in the fire means they have already begun walking down that path of the false teachers, of licentiousness, of immorality, of abandoning truth. He says you need to save them. The word save means he means to bring them and rescue them. It's the word we use for our eternal salvation. He's not saying save them eternally. He's saying you need to save them out of that by snatching them. The word snatch is a violent term. It's the word for raptures used in there. It is Jesus uses it saying no one can snatch them out of my hand. To snatch is to pull with violence. You go aggressively to those who have already begun to abandon the faith and walk down that fire. You go to them aggressively because you love them. You love them. Don't just don't give up on them. Don't just give them over. You love them and you go to them. And you show them and you work with them and you take other people with you to pull them. Because too much is at stake. They're following a path that will destroy their life. They're following a path of rebellion. It's not just some easy lifestyle they're following. It's not just a difference of opinion. It's a road that leads to destruction. If you love them, you really love them, you go snatching out of the fire. And then he says, and some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by their flesh. Back in that time, when someone was really sick with a contagious disease or if they died, they'd take the clothes they wore and they'd burn them. What he's saying is there are some who have already not only gone the way of the fire, but they have completely given themselves over on the verge of becoming teachers. He says, you have mercy on them. You love them. But in the same way as you would take the garments of someone who has been corrupted and polluted by illness or death, you put them aside. You you understand the danger. And while you love them and care for them, in essence, you cast them away. Don't let them do further damage to your church, to your faith. It's a hard words. They're hard, harsh words because people who teach what is false are hard, harsh people who live, Judah said, in rebellion against God. Now, we live in a culture that I share with you that has adopted two philosophies, relativism and syncretism. I've shared that throughout this series. You can go back and I give detailed explanations of them. But relativism means this, relativism means this that there is no absolute truth, that there is no one moral right away. And syncretism means that everything, all religions and all philosophies are equal. We live in a culture, but all cultures have believed that, but Christianity, that's nothing new. But we're experiencing that in our world because we haven't before. And there are churches who are taking that culture and they are bringing it into the church, into the world. They're bringing what is false. And they're not loving. That's not love. Letting someone who's going to be destroyed by their rebellion and sin live that way is not love. That's the very opposite of love. See, here's what the thing we need to realize. Our culture in rebellion against God needs love and mercy. But it also needs the truth about Jesus. And only followers of Jesus can share both of them. See, our culture needs love, but they need truth. We have both of those things, and we share both with them. No one else can. No one else is going to share truth with them. No one else is going to share real love with them. But you and I, that's our task. We live in conflict with our culture. And Jude says that conflict come to our door, the door of the church. And we have to realize we're called into that conflict. And we wade into that battle and that struggle. But we do so with love. And we do so with truth. We have both of those on our side. So as I take 
in this book of Jude, and I kind of bring it to a conclusion and summarize what has been said. Here's the thing that I want you to see. We are to live differently than our culture, fundamentally different. We are to live as followers of Jesus. It's just that simple. We're to live as followers of Jesus. And we learn how to live as a follower of Jesus through 27 books that tell the story of Jesus and teach the truth about Jesus. And we live as a follower of Jesus with the very love that Jesus tells us to have. And we take that love and we take that truth and we go into a culture in rebellion against Christ and we give both of those to them. Some of you today need to give your life to Jesus. You need to come and experience the love that Christ has and accept the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you've never done that, I encourage you right now, where you are, to give your life to Christ. Some of you, as followers of Jesus, know the conflict is real because you're experiencing it in your life. You have a loved one. You have a family member, a friend, people you work with, people you care about, who are living in that rebellion, living in a way that is false. They may even claim to be a follower of Christ. They may even claim to have some sort of relationship with God, but you see where their life is heading, and you love them. You need to have mercy on them, not by leaving them alone, but by sharing truth with them, praying for them, yes, but sharing truth with them. So they would know what that truth is. Some of you may be struggling with false teaching yourself. And you may be battling that false teaching. And you know you need to commit yourself fully to Christ and to get that struggle, to win that struggle. So I invite you to do that today. Listen, if you want to join our church, you can do that. I don't know what the Lord wants you to do, but here's what I know. We're going to be standing here. If you want to come talk to me or one of the other guys, and if you want to come, and I think one of our ladies is here, ladies, if you want to speak to another woman, you can do that. This is the thing you need to get this right today. You need to realize that life is all about Jesus. And you need to be sure that in love and truth, you follow Jesus. So Father, we thank you for what we have in here. She wrote a tough book. It's a hard book. But he wrote a book about truth. And he wrote a book about love. And he wrote a book that speaks right to where we are today in our culture. Where there is so much opposition you. But God, we have the truth. So let us take that truth into the world in which we live. Let us love people, even those who are completely different than us. But in loving them, let us take them truth so they can experience the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us go, Father, because you have called us into this conflict. And because we are going to follow you, we will go in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Would you stand? You come. We'll be here to greet you.